This is part of our New Year's sermon series. Um, the last few years, the Lord has talked to me about the weapons that he wants to use for the year, the, the effective weapon for the year. Last year, it was the word of God. And, and I don't know about you, but every single time I was in a street fight with the enemy, I had to turn to this to get out of it. You know, and, and this weapon is still vital, still relevant, still works. Uh, but this year, I just feel deep inside that the weapon of choice that the en- enemy won't have any authority over is a prayer life. And so this morning, I'm going to be speaking on prayer um, and what that looks like. I've been speaking a lot about it and teaching on it for the last few months in the Free Methodist. It's actually uh, um, Superintendent Chris had a call that we would learn what prayer truly is and begin to get back to being a house of prayer. And so I've been sharing in those places and um, got to teach there recently. Alan was speaking this morning, but Alan is sick, so lift him up. And so I said, well, I can share in prayer because that is our weapon that I believe God wants to utilize this year. And so we, as an intercessory team that meet on Sunday mornings, have had this push to pray and fast on Thursdays for our community and for the body of Christ. Because God is coming back for a body without spot or wrinkle. Amen? And today we are closest to his return than we were yesterday. And some of us have some spots and wrinkles that have been exposed in COVID season that God is saying, I'm trying to get these spots out of your life. I need your wrinkles to go. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been walking through fire for two years. I feel like when COVID took place, there was a, a weapon that was unleashed against the body of Christ that God is using to purify his church. And some of us are walking well in that fire and some of us are not. And some days I have good days and some days I don't do so well. But we can run from the fire or we can stay in the fire until we're purified and we can walk out in holiness. Amen? Amen. But we choose that outcome, not not God. We choose the outcome. We choose the outcome of our life. You know, I hear a lot, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil will torment you until you decide to do it. But you're the one that decides. We can blame the devil all we want, but at the end of the day, he's not the one that stands before the king of glory on judgment day. You do. And so we need to be a people that hit our knees in the fire instead of people running from the fire. I believe that the shutdown of COVID actually exposed the praylessness of the house of God. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things I always said is, boy, if I had more time, I'd pray more. Well, in COVID, we had all the time in the world, and my prayer life did not get better. I didn't spend more time in prayer. I still was just as busy as I was when the doors were open. You know, in the story of the ten virgins, there were virgins who were waiting for the return of the Lord and there were some that were prepared and there were some that were not, but they were all believers. And some of us in COVID realized our oil was empty. 
And some of us today are sitting in here going, my oil is empty, but the emptiness is on us, nobody else. And God is saying, I am going to get my house to what it was called for. And I'm not just talking about this house. I'm not just talking about the body of Christ in buildings. I'm talking about we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We're the house of prayer. God says, you will know them in Luke. He says, and take heed to yourselves in Luke 21. Lest at any time, listen, I want you to hear these verses as if it's life or death this morning. Take heed to yourselves. In Luke 21, 34, and 36. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with sulfurating and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day came upon you unawares. Watch, for a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. In the message, it says it like this. It's a little easier to understand and it's when conviction hit me in the face. But be on guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation gets you dulled by parties and drinking, and it says shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise. We've become a numb nation. And we numb ourselves, if I had my phone, with phones rolling. We numb ourselves with Netflix binges. We numb ourselves with gaming, and I numb myself with shopping. I go to Amazon. And I realized that no time in the world would change that. I had to change that because all the time in the world happened in 2020 and I didn't change just because time happened. I had to be the one that changed. It goes on to say, otherwise that day is going to take you by complete surprise, spring on you suddenly like a trap. For it's going to come to everyone, everywhere, at once. So whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and the wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. Some of us are asleep at the wheel. And we're numb to our own lives because it's easier to numb than it is to face the pain of it. Numbing everything gets you nothing. Not even a relationship with God. When we shut down one emotion, we shut down all emotions and we put a wall between us and God because we can no longer experience him the way that God wants us to experience him. We self-medicate by numbing ourselves instead of facing ourselves. Listen, in order to know the strategy of the enemy, we have to be on our face and asking God, what is the strategy of the enemy? And in order to know the strategy of God, we have to have encounters where we're actually listening to what God is up to in our lives right now. 
Listen, the enemy has a strategy against you, and it's to, lie, to steal, kill, and destroy you. But God has a strategy too. And it's easy when life happens to see what the enemy's up to, right? When all chaos breaks out, it's easy to say, wow, this is a bad day. But God is up to something in those moments too. But if the, if the chaos is all we see, if the chaos is all we pay attention to, if the struggle is all we know, then the struggle is what will take you out. But when we get on our face before a living, breathing God who knows you intimately, in and out, and knows your struggle He knows exactly what you need to do to walk through the struggle and get to the other side. Because how many of you know God doesn't always take us out of the struggle? Because it's, he cares more about your character than he cares about your comfort. And so he will take you through struggles to get to the other side. And if the enemy is lying and whispering, listen, I have never seen so much division in a body of Christ before than I have over the last two years. And I'm not just talking about in-house. Why is that true? It's because people are listening to the whispers of the enemy against your friends and your family. And you're paying attention to it instead of paying attention to the one who loves and cares about you. And so this spirit of division has come against the church and we're all divided and we don't even know who we like. We don't trust anybody, not even God, because we're not even going before him and asking him, what is he up to? Do you know the disciples never said, teach me how to heal? The disciples never said, teach me how to preach. The disciples said, teach me how to pray. Because they knew that Jesus, everything that he did come from a prayer life that they saw in the open. He, they knew that everything that Jesus did, he did because he heard what the Father said to do. Oh, but you have to have a call or a special anointing to pray, to be an intercessor. Jesus is an intercessor. Who are we supposed to replicate? Jesus is interceding right now on your behalf every day, every moment for the rest of his life. In all eternity, he sits and intercedes for his children. And we're supposed to replicate him. It's not a special call for anybody. It's a call for everybody. Leonard Ravenhill says, prayer is not just a position, but a disposition. It is the very character of who we are to be. Constantly in communion with God. Constantly talking to him. Constantly listening to his voice, not the voice of the enemy. Listen, his voice is a still small voice. The enemy's voice is loud and raging. What are you paying attention to? In order to hear the still small, you have to walk away from the loud raging and dig deep into a prayer life with the king of glory so that you can hear his voice and know him intimately. Prayer changes everything. It changes everything. The impossible becomes possible when we partner with heaven and God who is the God of impossibilities and we begin to pray his kingdom, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is when impossibility changes. But if we're just complaining about our situations, you have then partnered with the language of hell because complaining and whining is the language of hell and you've invited hell into your situation that is already hellish enough. 
We need to start worshiping. We need to begin to pray and say, God, what do you say about this situation? Not what my enemy says, because I can hear him. What are you saying about the person that drives me crazy? What do you say about my enemy? Because he says something different than what your enemy says about you. And I don't mean your foe in flesh form. I mean your enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, if you have enemies in your life, that means you're walking in the right direction. But God says something different about your enemies than what you should be believing. Because your enemy is not people. Your enemy who is the one that wants to divide you from the people in your life so that you walk alone. Charles Finney says, Truth is employed to influence men, but prayer is employed because it moves God. Listen, Abraham changed God's mind because of prayer. He had a conversation, communion with God, and said, God, but if you find 10 righteous men in that city, would you please not destroy it? God said, yes, I will. He didn't. He didn't find righteous men. He saw, found four, saved four. The disciples understood that every other ministry in Jesus' life was an outflow of his communion with his father. They understood that God honors the words of his sermon his servants to the same degree his servants honor his word. Jesus sat and listened to his father. All too often, we go to God with our needs and we beg him for things he's already promised. If you have a good father, do you have to beg him for anything? He says, ask daily, but don't beg me for it because it's already yours. But some of us, we just come in and we've got this huge list of all our needs and that's all the communion we ever have with God is talking about our problems. And we never sit and listen to his voice about anything. Listen, prayer is a conversation. It is not just a to-do list. Corey Russell says, Our words only carry the weight of as much as we are encountering him. We cannot release what we have not been willing to encounter. Do you know King Saul was stripped of his kingdom and given to a man after God's own heart? Saul was driven by the demands of the people out of fear of losing them. And David was a man after God's heart. Was he perfect? No. But he was a man who pursued God passionately. Our personal prayer lives must be on par with intimacy with Jesus. Listen, if you're spending more time listening to gossip than you are prayer, you got a problem. It's why some of us are so shaking when life happens. It's because we're not in communion with God at all, and all we see is problems. We're not spending time talking with him about anything. We're not spending time about listening and asking him, Father, what do you say about today? Some of you even now said, well, I can't hear God. That's a lie from your enemy because God is always speaking around you. And he loves to talk to his children. He loves to talk to you. 
He loves to reveal his heart to you. It's just not what you think it is. Sometimes we think it's going to sound like Angel's voice or Mark's voice. It's just not that. It's much better than that. Sometimes he will use us to speak to you. But often it's when you open this and a verse pops out at you. It's sometimes through a song and it can be secular. God, God is not intimidated by secular music. He's not intimidated by it. He'll use it to speak to you if you're not listening to anything else but that. God is a God who loves to talk to his children. Whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you and he's always looking to come after you. Jesus tells his disciples, my house will be called a house of prayer. And he repeats it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's a reference to Isaiah 56. In Matthew 21, 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Think about that. When God's people stop praying, church becomes something other than what it was called to be. Luke 19.45, and he entered the temple and began to drive out all those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. Mark 11, he repeats it, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Is your temple a house of prayer? Or is it a house of complaining? Isaiah 56.7 says it this way, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. He's going to make them what? Joyful? Some of y'all need more joy. Where does it come from? Becoming a house of prayer. Because you know what happens when you get on your knees and you begin to pray? And here's the key about prayer. Too often we do it from this realm and we see it through the eyes of this earth. But when we pray and come into the Holy of Holies, right? We have, we have access to Holy of Holies because the veil was torn. Jesus paid a price so we can go into the throne room and commune with God and look down over earth over our situation. Too many times we look up to our situation from earth instead of saying, God, what do you say about my situation? Because everything changes about your situation with the way that you view it when you view it through a God of impossibility. The thing that is supposed to distinguish the Christian church is the aroma and the atmosphere of prayer. Not just your buildings, remember. I'm talking about this house, too. Too many of us care more about the church building or its appearance. Too many of the churches today are worried about growing their church than actually cultivating a prayer house that God has called it to be. Why is prayer so important? Because it is where we get to know the Father the best. When we sit in his presence and listen to what he says, it changes everything. When I was learning about who I am in Christ, when I was learning about realizing that I believed a lot of lies about myself, God said, I want you to come into my presence every day for 30 days, and I want you to ask me, what do I say about you? For 30 days, every day. And some days it was really easy to hear. Other days I had to fight a whole lot of junk to hear what he said about me. But it changed the way I saw myself because I began to see myself the way God sees me. 
And insecurity and fear and intimidation no longer has a hold on me because I see me the way Jesus sees me because I listen to what he says, not what man says about me. When Peter came out of the upper room for the first time, now listen, Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times, right? Why? Why did Peter deny? Because Peter couldn't pray for one hour. When you read that story, I'm not going there, but when you read that story, it says he took three disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, pray with me one hour. And he came back and they were sleeping and he woke them up and said, pray with me one hour so that you can withstand the temptation. Pray with me one hour and you can withstand temptation. Three times he came back and they were sleeping. And then Peter denies Christ because he couldn't pray for one hour. So easy to give in to temptation, we're not spending time with the one who takes temptations and crushes its head in our lives. You can strive all you want, but one hour in prayer changes everything. But when Peter came out of that upper room where they were found praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, he begins to quote the book of Joel. Now, Joel's a tiny book in the Old Testament. It's got three chapters in it. And in Joel chapter 1, Joel's standing in the middle of a locust plague that had destroyed the economy and all the systems. And in the middle of the shaking, Joel stands up. And he says that we have clear signs among us that we are out of step with God. And we're out of alignment with his will for our nation. And what were the clear steps? Locusts had destroyed the economy systems and there was a shaking in the land. I don't know about you, but there's a little bit of economy shaking happening in our land right now. Listen, there are clear signs that our nation is out of alignment with the living God that we were founded on way back when. And Joel stands up and he says, okay, there are clear signs, so we must get back into alignment with God. So in Joel 2, he makes this call. Do you know what the call was? We need to begin to fast and pray. And we need to lament and we need to um, pray over our nation so that we can come into alignment with God again. And so he calls forth this fast and prayer. Listen, when we align ourselves with God in prayer, everything else becomes disruptive around us that we once partnered with. Our complaining and our whining shifts and worship naturally happens when we start praying. When, when we are struggling in temptation and we take it to the Lord in prayer, all of a sudden, when you come face to face to a living, breathing God who loves you passionately and begins to speak about what he thinks about you, all of a sudden, those temptations don't look so good no more. Some of you all need to get more time in prayer and less time fighting your temptations. I think it was Corey Russell says, we're in a Psalm 2 moment that requires a Joel 2 response so that we can have an Acts 2 outpouring. Amen. Psalm 2 says, why are the nations so angry? 
Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm hearing all around me in our nation. And Joel 2 is a call of repentance. Joel 2.12 says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. And don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Come on. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows, perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the peoples, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private rooms. Let the priest who minister to the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. And let them pray. Spare your people, O Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of hearing Christians being mocked. Begin to pray and weep over the state of where we are as a nation. Instead of complaining about egg prices, begin to ask God for a strategy about the egg prices. Listen, it's, it's in prayer that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. And those men walked out mightier than Jesus. He said, these things I have done, but greater shall these things be that you do. Some of us need to get to the good things that God has called us to and stop listening to the lies of the enemy that has taken you out of the very thing he's called you to. Listen, I'm so tired of hearing the bickering and the finding and the murmuring and the complaining. I feel like Moses sometimes when I listen to some of y'all, myself including. It's why I have, I have positioned myself. God, take it out of me. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be like the children of Israel who stand in the desert for 40 years, never entering into a promised land. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at our enemy because I'm sick and tired of our nation failing the way it is failing. We are a Christian nation built on Christian foundations, and it's about time that we start acting like that. Listen, Peter preached to the God. He walked out a changed man in that room. Why? Because he stayed on his knees until the Holy Spirit came. He prayed until breakthrough came. He prayed until something changed in his life so that everything changed that moment forward for him. And the man who denied Christ came out fighting with a sword that didn't cut off his enemy's ear, but it bled his enemy's ear because he was talking about a king that changes everything, even to his enemy probably why Paul became, or Saul became Paul. Because the very man that persecuted the church got saved because of an encounter. There are two pillars in our, before I get there, wait. Do you know what happened every time disciples would end up in jail? Prayer meetings the church began to pray. Every time there was sickness, do you know what happened? The church would pray. They didn't just pray and whine and complain about their situation. God, do you see this mess? What is this mess? No, they prayed prayers of faith that changed everything. 
Corey Russell says there are two pillars that our prayer life will rest upon. Who we secretly believe God is and who we secretly believe I am. We need to stop acting like we're praying to a God with limited power and resources. He's not a middle-class dad with billions of kids and not enough to go around. He's a God who formed you in your mother's womb. In this very moment, he knows every hair upon your head. He knows what you have need of. And he's not withholding something from you and giving it to your neighbor. Everything he has, you have access to. There are no favorites in the kingdom of God. So why would you be jealous of what your neighbor has when you can go in and get it yourself? Ephesians 3.14 says this, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Listen, that is the heart cry of a father in heaven. That is the heart cry of our pastor, is that you would be empowered with the unending, 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 unending resources of heaven. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for you. Listen, I don't know what happened to you in your history to cause you to have such an ill view of who God is, but God is love and holy and righteous, and he is not a God who hates you. He is not a God who has favorites and will do for one and won't do for another. If it happened over here, he will do it over here if you ask. Either his promises are yes and amen or they're not. He doesn't change. And I promise they are yes and amen. There's no middle ground with God. That's called the fence of lukewarmness. He doesn't live there. We're not orphans. You need to get that out of your head right now. You are not an orphan. You are a son and daughter of the king of glory. And he loves you and he's for you. You're not against you. You're not the least in the kingdom. You're the best in the kingdom because he's marked you with his presence. Do you know that when Jesus was teaching in Matthew 6, he says, your father knows what you need, so don't repeat, right? But in Matthew 7, he says, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives and he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. It sounds contradictory, but it's not. Because Matthew 6 is talking about our basic needs. Listen, he's a good father. He will provide everything that you have need of. All you have to do is ask. You don't have to beg. But when he's talking about the asking and the keep on asking, he's talking about your dreams. 
He's talking about the vision for your life. He's talking about the things that he's placed inside of you that he hasn't placed in anybody else's heart. God is a rewarder of his children. And when you seek him with all that you are, he loves to show off and reward for you. Because you're his. You are marked by a savior who died. And you are that important to him. Captivated by Christ, the ministry that Jen and I co-lead together was birthed in me 10 years ago in a prayer meeting, mind you. You know, this house used to have prayer meetings every Sunday night. And because of, I'll just call it what it is, because of offense and hurt and frustration with people, it got shut down. But in those prayer meetings is where God showed up in a mighty place and in a mighty way. And he began to birth things inside of us. And the things that we are now seeing in this house was birthed in those prayer rooms. And one of the things that was birthed is we saw this place where those that the world had cast aside and said they're worthless and hopeless, they don't deserve anything, would have a place where they could find hope, healing, and purpose in Jesus Christ. And so we began to pray over that. Those are the things that we're supposed to keep asking about. If you have a dream inside of you that is a God dream that he's birthed inside of you, you pray until it breaks forth, and you don't stop, and you keep praying. Some of y'all don't dream because you said, well, your dreams just never took place. It's because you stopped praying over them. My dad and my mom were great prayer warriors, and they taught me at a very young age, I don't have to beg God for anything. I'm going to share a story. I just, uh, I don't have it in my notes. I just feel like God wants me to share with you. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have not. And the place that I was a teenager and we were poor. My dad was in ministry. Not all ministers are poor, but we were. God said he wasn't receiving a check from the church, but he couldn't get a job. And the Lord said, I don't want you to have a job right now. But he kept trying because he's stubborn. (laughs) And God said, no, I'm going to provide for you. You can't go on welfare. I'm going to take care of you. Well, one time we were there and I... I was a teenager, so I was a little rebellious. And we didn't have any food, and I knew that. And my parents told me to set the table for dinner. I went, and I was mad. I was mad. I was like, for what? What are you going to feed us? No, teenage attitude. There's no food in this stinking house. I would never swear because I only did that once, and she backhanded me, so I didn't swear but I was mad. And they said, we're going to set the table and we're going to believe that God is going to provide for us. We didn't have to beg. I see that now, but boy, I was hot. So I slammed those stinking plates down. And then Dad said, we're going to pray over this meal that God's going to give us. And we did. And he's a God who cares about everything about you. So we did. We prayed. Still mad. I'm mad. I'm like, what kind of a God would let his children starve 
What kind of parents would do this to their kids? Listen, he's a God who cares. And I heard the knock on the door, and my parents are like, go get the door. And I'm still throwing a fit. I open the door, and there's nuns. Someone, no, it was actually one of the local ladies, but the nuns had found this local lady looking for us. And they brought us food. The nuns, we weren't Catholic. They didn't know us. They were praying. And the Lord said, this is a couple that needs food. And you're going to take them food. And they brought us food that night. Changed my life. Listen, he's a God who cares about everything about you. Stop believing anything else that's not truth. And so they provided for us. And I remember the next morning getting the eggs out and there was money in the eggs. And everybody swears they didn't put it there. But there was money in the eggs. Listen, he's a God who cares about us. You don't have to beg God for your needs. He shows up because you're his son and your daughter. It marked me. I was rebellious for a little longer. <laughs> but it marked me. It was a changing point for me. Because for the first time, I saw God be exactly who said, my parents said he was. And I remember shortly thereafter, I began to pray because I was in high school in Salmaica, New York, and rebelling. I was, I was in a bad place. And I remember thinking, I don't want to live this way, God. So if you want me, then you're going to have to move me out of this community because I don't know how to be a Christian here. And I'm not kidding. A couple weeks later, my parents sat us down and said, we're moving. <laughs> I'm like, go figure. God, you heard me. And we moved. And it's where I encountered the most demons. That's another story, another sermon. But it was the place that God met me in my bedroom and everything changed as a 15-year-old girl. And I sold out to him because I thought, if you can move me and you can provide for me, then you're the God that I will serve the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. He's a God who cares. Some of you need to stop complaining about your situations and start praying over them. And when you pray, believe that you're praying to the God of impossible, yeah. not the God who has only a little. Listen, captivated by Christ was built on prayers. Jen prayed over him, and I prayed over him for years. It was birthed out of a place of prayer. We couldn't make it happen if we wanted to. And if you don't know what it is, Jen, Jen ministers in the prisons, and we have started a store in Reynoldsville where we, um, all the profits are going to those coming out of jail to help them in housing and programming to get healing purpose we are a place of hope, healing, and purpose, and hope. <laughs> Come on. We couldn't make it happen if we don't have enough finances between the two of us to make that happen. 
but God is making it happen because he's the God of impossibility and he cares about those in prison. And if he cares about those in prison, he cares about those sitting here. And if he cares about you sitting here, he cares about your sons and daughters who don't know Christ. He cares about your lack of finances that you have every week and you've done all that you know to do. He has a strategy for you. Get on your knees and begin to ask him. You see, when, when our prayers align with God's heart, don't know his heart, look it up. It's pretty powerful, his heart for his people. What kind of a God would do everything in his power to get the children of Israel into the promised land, even when they spit in his face and served other gods? Our God does. What kind of a God goes to the pit that we've put ourselves in and pulls us out and say, here, walk with me instead of this way? Because the way you're walking is leading to your destruction. Our God did that. When we align our hearts with God in prayer, it changes atmospheres. It changes the way that you see your circumstances. It changes the way that you walk. And I believe that God is looking for watchmen again. He's looking for people who will pray day and night again. He's looking in Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. It says, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth again. Listen, he's looking for watchmen who will pray again until this nation falls under the Christian alignment that it was built on. He is praying with you, and he wants you to partner with him. The more time that you spend with God, the more you realize that he delights in you. I don't pray because I feel like I must. I pray because he's my favorite person to be with. He's the only one that gets my craziness. The way, he, he, not even my husband gets me most days. But God gets me, and he loves me in spite of me, despite me. He loves me passionately. He loves to talk with me. He, locks, he likes to pick out my clothes some days when I don't feel like it. He's a God who is very personal, and he loves to be with us. Stop listening to the lies that you're not good enough, and why would God want to talk to me? That is an orphan, and that is the language of hell over your life. He cares about you. He cares about everything about you. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Listen, he is a God who cares about us. Religion is a form of godliness without power or intimacy. Too many of us have religion, and we do not have relationship with the King of glory. That's why our nation is in the, na the pits it is. It's not the enemy's fault. It is not the enemy's fault. We spend more time whining and complaining about each other than we spend time on our hands and knees praying for each other. 
We spend more time bashing other people and other leaders instead of praying for them. Man, what would happen if the church began to fast and pray for Biden instead of whining and complaining about the way that he leads? We don't have to like him, but we have to honor him. He's an authority over us, and we should start praying for him and lifting him up. The lack of intimacy in our prayer lives make prayers tokens. What do I mean by that? Token is a symbolic gesture with no expectation of change. We need to have the faith that when we pray, everything changes. Bill Johnson says, our prayers are often reduced to repetition instead of prayers that are alive. Some of us use God like a genie in a bottle trying to persuade God into doing what we want instead of trying to engage with him. Smith Wigglesworth, my favorite historian and revivalist, a man of God, prioritized prayer. He once remarked that he seldom prayed for more than a half hour, but seldom went more than a half hour without praying. His practice was to be in constant communication with God. And when he asked what the secret of his life, of signs and wonders were, he says, if you find me alone, you will find me talking to God. I make it my business to talk to God all the time. It is the reason that I believe that God keeps me right, always right, and always ready. is because I'm constantly talking to him. Do you know that his prayer life was so powerful that in a prayer meeting, his people that was surrounded in ministry with him would take bets, just a little fun gesture, on how long they could stay upright in their chairs in the prayer meetings that he was leading, Smith Wigglesworth. Because they would come into the prayer meetings and there was so much glory of God in there that they would fall to their knees and pass out. Come on. That's something to aim for. Prayer is the purest form is in the purest form, is a love relationship with the Father God, a privilege to touch his face and hear his heart. Let me repeat that. This is what prayer is. It is a love relationship with the Father God, a privilege to touch his face and hear his heart. I can't tell you how many times in the prayer closet I had to say, I don't have any words today. I'm struggling and I have nothing but my tears. And he would say, crawl up on my lap and let your tears flow upon my heart so you can begin to hear my heartbeat. And I would crawl up on his lap and I would stay there until hope would arise. No words, just crying, God, I, I don't know what to do. And I'd stay, I was there this week doing the same thing. God, I don't know what to do in this situation, but you do. So I'm crawling up on your lap, Daddy. And I'm going to stay here until I have hope in my heart over this situation that I cannot change. And I stayed there until hope began to arise. Because everything that looked bleak began to have hope because he's the king of glory and he changes everything and everyone around me. Is prayer a priority? Because if it's not, then intimacy with God is not. That is not a slam. It is a come higher, my child. 
I want to commune with you. I want to change the way that you see the world and yourself, and I want to change the way that you see the people around you. Do you know why we pray for our enemies? Sometimes our enemies never change, but our perspective on our enemies changes. We no longer see them as enemies. We begin to see them as child of God. That's why it says pray for your enemies. Because here's the thing. When you begin to pray for your enemies, they begin to bless you instead of curse you. And they don't even know why they're doing it. I've seen it over and over. All too often as Christians, we prioritize doing in our personal lives, corporately, instead of just sitting and being with Jesus. The church has become distracted and busy with serving. We've become worried and troubled and anxious and nitpicking. There are more suicides than ever before in the church. Come on, something's wrong here. Because we have forgotten that one thing is needed. When God, when we talk um, about Mary and Martha, all too many of us say we're either Mary or Martha, but we're supposed to be both. It's just Mary before Martha, not one or the other. You can't just sit at the feet and never do. But you can't just constantly doing without ever sitting at the feet of God. Because if you continue to do and never sit at the feet of God, do you know what happens? You begin to complain about the Marys. You begin to complain about how all they do is that. Well, you're not seeing everything else. You know you've become too much Martha if all you see is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're whining and complaining about him. Our heart rooted in intimacy is unaware of itself and unaware of everybody else in their services to Jesus. Let me say that again. A heart rooted in intimacy and prayer with Jesus is unaware of itself and its needs. It's unaware of what everybody else is doing and not doing. All they see is Jesus' face. And he becomes the most important. Martha becomes so busy and so worried and troubled and so caught up in doing, and her eyes got caught up in someone else, what someone else wasn't doing. You will know you are stuck in Martha mode if you can see Mary sitting at his feet and wondering why she's not helping you. Been there, done that, not fun. And you begin to resent those people. And before, before you know it, you then become offended with them. And before you know it, you become not just offended, you begin to gossip about them and you tear them down. Listen, it's a vicious cycle exactly playing into what the enemy wants for you. Pen there, done that. Until Jesus spanked me really good. E.M. Bounds, great old pastor that loved prayer, says, he who is too busy to pray will be too busy to live a holy life. 
and you're struggling in sin in your life and you don't feel very holy, how's your prayer life? Let's be a people found doing the one thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus until all other voices and all other influences in our life are drowned out. And listen, if you can't get rid of the enemy's voice for you, bring somebody else with you into prayer until you don't hear the enemy's voice any longer. Sometimes we can't get beyond the enemy's voice. That's why we live in family. And that is why it's say, come and gather and pray together. Prayer is the weapon that will see us through this year. So let's be the children of the king who are seen sitting at his feet before we go and serve him. Commit to increasing your prayer lives this year. Commit to making the one thing the most important thing in your life. Here's some really quick tips if you want to increase prayer in your own personal lives. Create a space that is separate and go there every day consistently until it becomes a habit. You can get Dick Eastman's book. It's actually in this office. I'll grab it afterwards so you can look at it. And it's One Hour with God. And it walks you through how to pray for one hour every day. Listen, prayer changes everything. How many of you have situation in your life that needs to change? Raise your hands. I want you to look, no, keep them up. I want you to look around the room. Grab a friend and begin to pray together. It changes everything. Let's stand. I hear all the time, I'll be praying for you, I'll be praying for you, but how many of you go back and pray until you see breakthrough for people's lives? I want people to pray for me until breakthrough comes. I want people to intercede for me until breakthrough comes for me. I want people to walk, that walk alongside of me, that lift me up more in prayer than they do gossip behind my back about me. Let's be a people who pray for each other instead of tear each other down with our words. Amen? Hallelujah. So I just want you to examine your heart. I don't, I don't want to send you out of the building without you making a commitment with Jesus. So I want you to close your eyes and put your hand on your heart because what you put your hand to, you concentrate on. Jesus, I want you to say this out loud with me. Jesus, do I need to increase my prayer life? And if he said yes, how long do you want me to commit? Is it 15 minutes more? Is it 20 minutes more? Or is it like he called Peter to? One hour, Peter, and temptation would not, you would not fall into temptation. One hour. We are so willing to fill our lives with everything but God's voice. We, we exercise for an hour, but we can't pray for an hour. We can play video games for an hour, but we don't pray for an hour. We watch TV shows for an hour, but we don't pray for an hour. Prayer 
is a love relationship and intimacy with a king of glory. This is not condemnation coming at you. This is called conviction. Either he is a God that you love or he's not. And if you're not a believer this morning and you're just not sure about this whole God thing, start talking with him. He'll talk with you. He'll answer your prayers to show you that he cares. That's what he did for me. God, if you're real and you want me to live for you, then move me out of this state and away from the friends that are pulling me back. And he did. Mind-blowing, 15-year-old girl, totally wrecked by the king of glory because he cared so much for me. He changed everything. He moved a family of six to Scranton, Pennsylvania. He cares about you. He cares about the things that you care of. But he wants you to become a people that care about the things that he cares about too. Jeremiah was a a prophet who wept. You know what he wept over? The things that Jesus was weeping, God was weeping over in the prayer closet with Jeremiah. The things that God wept over, Jeremiah wept over. Some of us need to start being concerned about the things that God is concerned for. And the only place that you find that is on your knees. Did you all hear more prayer in your life? And did he give you a time? How long, Lord? And say, God, find me faithful. Say that out loud. God, find me faithful as you are faithful. And let my unbelief become belief. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You are dismissed. Become a people of prayer. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.